0: I arrived for work, normal day, working for Pepsi Bottling Company on a Saturday morning, stocking shelves at the grocery store, and uh, another day at work. I'd been doing it for a couple of years, and I had finally got an assistant that they gave me to work alongside of me, as stocking the shelves, and I arrived at the grocery store after coming from another store, and my assistant was supposed to be there already getting some work done. Well, I arrived and couldn't find him anywhere in the back room of the grocery store, wasn't out and putting pop-outs. I'm like, well, where is he at? not not here working. So I started working. I started hauling some pallets of pop out into the, um, to the aisles. Then I went back with the pallet jack and started lifting up a couple pallets of pop. And as I started pumping on the pallet jack like this, all of a sudden this human being just popped up on top of the pallet of pop. It was my assistant. He decided to take a little nap on top of the pallet of pop that morning. I asked him, what are you doing? He's like, well, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I said, well, I know what you're supposed to do now. Go home thing. And that was the end of his career with Pepsi Bottling Company. But As we were leaving, as we were talking, he just kept saying, well, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. You know, it's pretty clear you've got a Pepsi shirt on, and you're supposed to what? Put Pepsi products out in the aisle. We've done it multiple times before. The expectations were pretty clear what he was supposed to do. But the expectations aren't always clear on what we're supposed to do. And most of the time, employees want what? Clear expectations. What do you want me to do? Well, today we're going to ask a big question. The question that every human being probably should ask at some point, or maybe silently asks in their heart, and that is, what's God's expectation of me? What's my responsibility as a human being in response to God? What's our responsibility Jesus has already died and punished for our sins. Jesus has already conquered death by being risen from the grave. So what, what's our role? What's our responsibility? What is the Bible calling us to as humans? So that's where we come to in Galatians chapter 2 this morning, is the Apostle Paul is returning to the central message of Christianity. Because this group of people in the Galatian church has kind of fallen off track a little bit. They've fallen off track, actually, because another apostle, Peter, the other chief, actually was confusing the people a little bit. So what happened was Paul was trying to bring some clarity back to the people because Peter had come and said, Hey, if you want to be in relationship with us, if you want to have, be part of the whole church of Jesus Christ, here's some things you've got to do. And Paul comes and says, Whoa, 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 Peter, Pe- Peter, you're wrong here. If you read earlier in Galatians, Paul actually calls Peter out and says, Peter, be accursed. In other words, Peter, you're wrong. You're done. Don't give the Galatian church any more wrong message. They don't have to do any of this side stuff in order to have relationship. It comes back to one thing, one, wish, one issue only. So that's where we pick it up in Galatians chapter 2. And If you want to open your Bible and turn there with me, Paul gets right to the point in verses 15 and 16. He reminds the people, he says, hey, I'm a Jew, which is a reminder to them that, hey, he's God's chosen. He's part of God's chosen people that were used to bring Jesus, the Messiah, into the world. So that's a big deal. He's got a strong heritage. But then Paul says in verse 16, he says, yet, in other words, he's saying, hey, that's not that big of a deal. He says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. In other words, Paul is saying here, hey, We know that a person's not made right with God because they've done all of the stuff prescribed in the moral or ceremonial law. So Paul just comes out and says it. Hey, you're not made right with God because you follow the ceremonial law or the moral law. He says it right next. He says, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Paul just brings them right back to the central point and says, hey, what God's requiring of you is this, faith in Jesus Christ. And if we were to read the whole Bible, and if we were to look at a theme found throughout the whole Bible, we'd keep coming back to this theme. What does God want from his people? He wants faith. People have been called to trust in God. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, it's kind of a, a chapter that gives us an overview of famous Old Testament people. But the chapter begins by it saying, without faith it is impossible to please God. And then the chapter goes on and it says, by faith so-and-so did this. And then a little later, by faith so-and-so, by faith so-and-so. So it's describing that even in the Old Testament, before Jesus, and sometimes we're so confused about this and then we set them at odds against each other. Before Jesus even came, how did people please God? By faith. God has always wanted faith from his people. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And in the book of John, chapter 3, that was read for us earlier in the service, the famous verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. So God gives a gift. What does God want in response to that gift? Faith. And then we read a little bit further on in John chapter 3. In the final verse of John chapter 3, verse 36, it says this. For all of those who believe in Jesus have life, but those who disobey the Son, what? The wrath of God remains on them. So the only way to, what, be free from condemnation is through faith in Jesus Christ. What's expected of us is faith. So what does it mean? What does it mean to walk by faith? What does it mean to live by faith? The first thing I want to point out here in Galatians chapter 2 about what it means to live by faith is this. Look with me, if you would, down to verse 20. Down to verse 20, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So Paul's making a key point here. He's reminding them, that, hey, even after the initial conversion, how is Paul saying he's living his life? It's by faith. Faith is not a one-time transaction. Faith is not something where one day you're like, okay, I'm going to accept Jesus in my heart today. If I accept Jesus in my heart today, so I trusted. It, now it's done. Now I live the rest of my life doing whatever I want or the rest of my life according to the law. No. Faith is a journey. It's all of life. It's a continuous thing. As I, Paul says, I continue to trust in Jesus as I have life in the flesh. So faith is not a one-time experience. It's not a one-time transaction, but rather it's a life of trusting in Jesus. Whenever we also think about faith, sometimes we get confused or we start to feel guilty about ourselves because faith does not mean there's no doubt. Just because you express faith in Jesus Christ doesn't mean that you no longer have doubts. The disciples, after Jesus was resurrected, they're standing in the physical presence of Jesus, and the disciples themselves are what? Doubting. How can this be? And they're right there. And God doesn't condemn them. God doesn't just send them out saying, Hey, sorry, supposed to believe, goodbye. But the journey continues on. You work through the doubts not that God's saying, hey, don't ever doubt. It's what? In the midst of trusting Jesus, there's going to be doubts. You're going to doubt the goodness of God at different times. You're going to doubt the plan of God. You're going to wonder, man, does God have a plan here? What's going on? You're going to doubt the sovereignty of God. You're going to be like, there's no way God's in control. I mean, if God was in control, this little mess over here would not be happening. But in the midst of those doubts, you can still trust the person of Jesus Christ. You can still say to Jesus, Jesus, what you say is true. Even though I'm doubting the goodness of God right now, Jesus, I know you are who you say you are, and I know what you say about X or Y is true. So faith doesn't mean there's no doubts. Faith doesn't mean it isn't just a one-time experience. It's a lifetime of trusting in the person of Jesus Christ. To put it very simply, to walk by faith is this is to say to Jesus, Jesus, you're my source. Jesus, you're my source of forgiveness. Jesus, you're my source of value. Jesus, you're my source of hope. To trust in Jesus is to say to Jesus, Jesus, you're the source of everything. Because when you're trusting in Jesus, you're saying, Jesus, what you said is true, that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. When you're trusting in Jesus, you're saying, Jesus, hey, what you say about forgiveness, that's true. There's a really interesting story I'd encourage you to look into, but uh, John Piper is a pastor from Minneapolis. He's, he's a famous pastor. He's written I don't know how many books, tons of books. Um, he's been a best-selling author in the country. He's traveled the world. Some would argue he's had the most impact on the Christian world since Martin Luther and John Calvin. I mean, he is big. He's had huge impact. He's trained up generations of pastors, and he's sold millions of books. I was watching this video the other day that John Piper had made, and I had never known. John Piper, when he started selling books, he actually didn't take any of the royalties of the books. Immediately when he started selling books, they had set up a foundation who completely managed all the royalties that he didn't, wasn't in control of at all. And they interviewed him, and they said, why? Why? Why are you doing that? And when he said one, he said, hey, church is paying me and I've got enough. And when you look at this man's life, it is a life of simplicity thing. He didn't have a TV in his home for years. He walked to work, pastor of one of the biggest churches. But it was the next thing that he said that that really hit me and challenged me personally when I asked him, why are you doing this? And he said, well, Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And if Jesus says it, it's true. So why will not I just give it instead of receive it? That's, that's what faith is. That's what tru- to trust in Jesus is to say to Jesus, Jesus, what you say is true. It doesn't feel true, but what you say is true, so I'm going to go with it. Jesus says, hey, it's good for you to love your enemy. Oh, I don't know. That doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't feel right all the time, but you know what? Jesus, you say it. It's true. If I'm walking by faith, what I'm doing is I'm saying, Jesus, it's true, so I'm going with it. To live a life of faith is to trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Now you might say, well, you know, living a life of faith is is believing certain things about God. That's part of it. But I think all of us need a warning here, is that even the demons would agree with the Apostles' Creed this morning. Satan, I would contend, Satan would stand up here in the form of flesh, and he does it all around the world in the form of a person. And they recite the Apostles' Creed. Satan believes in the Apostles' Creed, believes everything there. It says in the book of James chapter 2 that demons believe in Jesus. Demons believe in God. So belief, faith that God is asking of us is not just some academic agreement to certain teachings that are found in this book. That's not the goal. The goal is not that we sign a contract at the end that says, yep, I agree with all of that. Virgin birth, yep, good to go with that. Resurrection, yep, good to go with that. What God is asking of us and what Paul is, look back at what Paul is saying in Galatians 2 is what? Faith in Jesus Christ. The big difference between academically agreeing on certain teachings and saying, I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm basing my life on Jesus. Jesus is the source, my hope is Jesus Christ. Now, does that lead to some other beliefs? Absolutely. It leads us to a variety of things that are taught here in the Scriptures. But without Jesus, all that other stuff is null and void. Null and void. It will do you no good because we're called to faith in Jesus Christ. So, most of us knew this message before we came here this morning, right? It's no surprise to you that I'm saying, believe in Jesus. We, we know that, for the most part we know that, but a lot of times we what? We slide back, and we're like, oh, we've got to do something. We, I mean, how many times have you, somebody bought you lunch, and what's your normal response? I'll get it next time. Right? Hey, next time somebody buys you lunch, don't say I get it next time, just say thank you. You don't have to do anything, just take the gift. I do it all the time, it works really well. Thing. <laughs> thing. Are really bad at receiving gifts, right? I, I got to do something. No, 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 no. There's no faith plus. It's faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to look at one verse to help us think through something that's important that confuses a lot of us sometimes. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Ephesians. It's right after the book of Galatians. We're saved by faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 we're reminded of this exact same truth. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay, this verse is jam-packed with controversy. It's clear, but it's extremely controversial. Here's the clarity is this. When you trust in Jesus Christ, that trust that you're extending is a gift from God. Now, you might say to me, well, pastor, I've got the ability, I've got the right, I've got the power to trust or believe in whoever or whatever I want. I won't argue that at all. That's true. You made the decision to trust in that chair when you sat in it today. You trusted that what? That chair's just not going to collapse. You placed your trust there. However, the Bible's clear about one thing. When you place your trust in Jesus Christ, the ability for you to do that came from one place, God himself. God gave you the gift of faith to trust in Jesus Christ. Now, whoa, pastor, how does that, or are you saying we don't have free will, are you saying, I'm saying I don't know. I'm saying it's pretty clear right here that when you trust in Jesus Christ, it's a gift from God. So here's what we need to do. When we express faith in Jesus Christ, you know what we need to do is we need to say, thank you, God, that you gave me the gift of faith. That's none of our business. I got, I got no control over where God gives gifts and where God doesn't give gifts. All I can do is what? Trust. He's given me the gift, and he's told me to go and proclaim others and encourage others to do the same. I don't know if he's going to give the gift or not, but he said do it. Does God give the gift at baptism? Does He get? I have no idea. It's it's this mysterious thing that when the Word of God is proclaimed and someone says, I believe in Jesus Christ, God did it. It's the work of God. Why? It said it right there in that verse. So that no one can boast. So that God gets the glory. Now, we don't always recognize this right away. And when we're leading someone to faith in Jesus Christ, it's not like right away they say, oh, so thankful that God gave me this gift of faith. Most of the time, they're like, you know, no, I'm placing my trust in it as my decision. But God's not like, oh, so you need to get this right. But maybe as we mature in our understanding, we come to a greater appreciation for the sovereignty, the greatness of God, and we can begin to recognize how, how God has been at work and how God gave the gift of faith. So faith is a gift from God. That which God requires, God gives. An absolutely amazing mystery. I got no idea how it works, but praise God. And now God is calling us into a life of faith, of continually trusting in Jesus Christ. There's a problem. There's a lot of darkness in our world. And so it's pretty easy for what? When hard times come, for our faith to crumble. So I want to spend just a few moments this morning thinking through on a very practical level, how can I keep the faith in the midst of hard times? Without everything crumbling. When I was in high school, I worked at the fairgrounds in the summer, and, and as we were working at the fairgrounds one summer, we were tasked with building a new hog chute, a pig chute for when they were showing pigs. And so we had two aisles one here that they were running this way, one here that they were running this way. And they had this old, ruggedy one before, and so the fair board said, Hey, we need a new one built. So that was kind of one of our summer jobs. We started building this pig chute, and man, this thing was glorious. I was so proud of this pig chute. And before the day of the fair comes, the fair board member is coming. like, oh, this is awesome thing. And so he's like, I'm going to bring my kid, my kids to show pigs. we will be here tomorrow. So they come the next day, and the first pig that runs through this pig chute, the thing collapses. Not my fault, of course, the assistants. But what happened was that the, mom- the moment something heavy got in there and started banging on the walls, it was done. It was over. The same is true in so many of our lives. The moment that difficulties arise, the faith weakens. The faith gets set aside. We no longer walk by, by faith, but we just kind of go at our own, and then we'll come back to the faith maybe after circumstances change. So how is it then that we can stay stand strong in the faith? The first th- two things we have to do are, are things we need to do right now today before bad times come. The first is this. We need to adjust our expectations. Expectations are a big deal. And so many of us Christians, we don't have biblical expectations for our lives. I'm going to give you a really hard word today. There's one clear thing from Scripture about what to expect as a Christian. Trouble. It's the only guarantee. It is the only guarantee that Jesus gives. There's going to be trouble. Jesus does not promise prosperity here in this world. That doesn't mean that he doesn't want it or he doesn't doesn't give it. But it is not promised. It is promised that there's going to be trouble. So as Christians, we we should be realistic about what is to come and what we're going to experience. Our expectations need to be guided by the Bible, not by culture. Again, it's not a bad thing at all to experience prosperity or to want prosperity. Not, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But to say that God's promised prosperity and that's what we're going to get is its just not there. It's not what Jesus has promised. And most of Jesus' original disciples never got to experience it. And most of our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world never get to experience it. They've got a biblical set of expectations. So they expect it to be rough so they don't abandon faith when it gets rough. It's the first thing. We've got to temper our expectations. second thing we need to do is we need to develop healthy habits when things are good so when it goes bad, we've got good habits in place. And you know these habits. This is, I'm not coming up with anything new. It's not like I was sitting in my office this week going, hmm, what habits could we develop that would help us? These are habits that have been in the Christian church for thousands of years, three very simple ones. Gathering together with God's people on a regular basis. Okay, Do you think God's like, oh man, I have got an empty day here. Day seven, we've got nothing going on. Maybe we should just force everybody to come to a building and sing some songs and listen to something out of a book. No. It's God's design of creation that people would have a day a week where they would gather together and be reminded of the truths of God, get refreshed in life. It's again, it's part of the, the habits of life that we're supposed to have. The church is not just some service that you come to a vending machine and like, oh, I'd like a service today. Boom, oh, I'd like a kid's thing today. It's not, the church is a gathering of people that's supposed to be continually gathering together as a family, as a people group. We're supposed to gather together regularly. It's supposed to be a routine in our life. It gives us strength and it brings God glory. I need that habit now because when things go bad and you're de-energized, it's really hard. Then I'm gonna go. If you can't get up and go to church when it's good, when it's bad, you're definitely not getting up and going to church. You've got to develop the habit. The second habit is Scripture reading. God, again, this is amazing. He made Himself known in human words that we can understand. I open the Bible every day not to study the law, but to meet with God. This is where God is. This is where I encounter God is in the Word. I don't meet God at a tree outside. I encounter God in the living Word. And so what happens is this. We don't have a habit of being in the Word regularly, so bad stuff comes, what happens? Then we're definitely not in the Word because we don't have the habit. And our faith is really going to struggle because we're not being nourished on a regular basis. So we need to be regularly meeting together. We need to be in the Word of God regularly. Third thing is pretty simple. We need to have a habit of prayer. Again, the Muslims, the Islam faith, they've just robbed this from us. The Islam faith did not sit around and go, hey, it's a good idea, I think, that we should pray five times a day. They didn't have a committee meeting and decide that. They stole that from Christianity. They robbed that from the nation of Israel. That wasn't their original idea. That's God's original idea. They've taken it, and they've stomped on it because God's people don't do it at all. There is nothing wrong at all with five specific times a day getting down and praying. There's nothing wrong with that at all. It's actually a healthy thing to five times a day saying, God, I just want to be reminded for a moment that you're God and I'm not. God, I'm just going to take 10 seconds right now and say, God, thank you for that last meeting I was in. That's a good thing. That's healthy. We need to have a routine of prayer. I'm not saying you need to follow the five times and and all of that. But the principle of regular prayer each and every day is a good thing, is a great thing. We need to have it now before the storm comes. Then when the storm comes, guess what? It's part of our life. It's part of who we are. It's how we handle the storm. So in order to have faith in the midst of difficult times, we need to do two things right now. Get biblical expectations. Second thing we need to do is develop healthy habits. So then, what do we do if we're in the midst of the storm? How do we keep the faith? I want to encourage you to do two things today. Two things. The first thing is this. In the midst of the storm, let someone else carry the weight. Let someone else carry the weight. Again, we are horrible at this. Because we got got to go it alone. i got to handle this myself. You know what? We weren't created that way. God said it's not good that you're alone. But you need a helper. So we got to let someone else carry the weight for us. You're going through a difficult time. It's okay to say to someone, hey, you know what? I need you to do this for me. And it might just be something extremely simple. I mean, this might just sound absolutely crazy. But it might be saying to someone, hey, I just need you to balance my checkbook for me. That sounds crazy, but in the midst of a difficulty, some of those little things just drain you and what lead to further depression and difficulty. Let someone else come in and help carry the weight. God created us to be in community. So let someone else carry the weight a little bit. The second thing we need to do is this. We need to express to that person or whoever what the difficulty is doing to us. I talked about this a little bit last week already. When you're going through a difficult time, you don't just need to say to someone, hey, life stinks right now. What you need to say to them is, hey, you know what's going on right now? This discouragement is really causing me to do X and Y, and I don't think it's good. You need to express the effects of the difficulty to people that can encourage you and help you along. So for, let me give you a quick example. For example, you're at work, and you're going through a a difficult time. You've got to make hard decisions and you're, and you're discouraged because of other stuff that's going on at work. Sometimes what you've got to do is you've got to say to your coworker, hey, you know what, this discouragement from our past failures, what it's doing to me is it's causing me to actually put less energy into the current situation because I don't have a lot of hope about what's going to happen. So then you know what needs to happen there is what, you're providing an opportunity for that person what, to put some energy in to carry the weight. You're expressing what's being caused in you, and you're inviting someone else to help in the pathway along. We all need this. That doesn't mean you need to run in here on Sunday morning and express to all hundred people, hey, this is what's going on, and here's what it's doing to me. You've got to have some people that you can do that with on a regular basis. We can keep the faith in Jesus Christ when we have biblical expectations when we have healthy habits that God invented, and when we live in community with one another, holding each other's hands and expressing to one another the difficulties that we're going through. There's one question that all of us have to answer this morning. Am I trusting in Jesus Christ? It's the most important question in all of life because God has one requirement one expectation for humanity, that one requirement is faith in Jesus Christ. So therefore, am I trusting in Jesus Christ today? He invites you into a relationship by trusting in him, saying, Jesus, I trust in you for my forgiveness. Jesus, I trust in you for my strength. I trust in you for my hope. Thanks be to God that God has given us faith, the ability to say, I trust in you, Jesus. Let us pray. Gracious and everlasting God, we praise you today that you have given us an opportunity to be in relationship with you. Lord, thank you for the gift of faith you've given to us. This morning, I pray for anyone here that has not yet walked by faith. God, I ask right now in the name of Jesus, you would give them the gift of faith. I also pray today, God, that you would put people in each of our lives that can help us along. I pray you put people in our lives that can help us develop healthy habits. Put people in our lives that can encourage us, that can listen to us. So we ask, God, that you would be at work and that by your power you would enable us to continue to walk by faith. God, we praise you and thank you for who you are and what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we have an opportunity to be reminded of what God has done on our behalf, to be reminded of why we're trusting in Jesus Christ and that's through this thing called communion. Communion is an opportunity where we come forward and we're physically reminded of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Martin Luther about 500 years ago or so was writing about communion and when he's writing about communion he finished by asking the question, how do I get this benefit of communion? The benefit of communion is the forgiveness of sins as Jesus declares and so Martin Luther asks, how do I get this benefit? How do I get this gift? And Martin Luther answers, by trusting in the one who gave us the gift, Jesus Christ. So this morning I invite you to come forward to be reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and to receive it by saying, Jesus, I trust in you. That's how we receive this gift, is by trusting in Jesus Christ. And this morning, we invite anyone and everyone we practice open communion to come forward. If you trust in Jesus Christ, you're invited to come forward to receive his body and to receive his blood, to be encouraged, to be reminded of what he has done. Jesus gathered together with his followers on the night before his betrayed, and he took bread and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins for the whole world. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I invite you forward this morning to be reminded of what Jesus Christ has done to receive the benefit of the forgiveness of your sins by trusting in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Everlasting God, thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus, entering into the flesh and dying on our behalf. We acknowledge to you this morning that we have sinned. We acknowledge to you that we have done wrong. We ask now, O Lord, that by the blood of Christ, by the body of Christ, you would forgive us. We ask now that you would restore us to relationship with you and one another. God, we ask that through this body, In this blood, you would refresh us. In Jesus' name, amen.